Chapter Twenty Four of War. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. War by Pierre Loti. Translated by Marjorie Laurie. Chapter Twenty Four, At Suzon, September nineteen fifteen. Suzon is one of the great martyred towns of the north. It can be entered only by circuitous and secret paths, with such precautions as redskins take in a forest. For the barbarians are hidden everywhere within the earth and on the hill close at hand and with field-glasses at their wicked eyes they can scan the roads so that they may shower shrapnel on any rash enough to approach that way one delightful september evening i was guided towards this town by some officers accustomed to its dangerous surroundings taking a zigzag course over low-lying ground through deserted gardens where the last roses of the season bloomed and the trees were laden with fruit we reached without accident the suburbs and were soon actually in the streets of the town grass had already begun to sprout there from the ruins during the last year in which all signs of human life had vanished from time to time we met some groups of soldiers otherwise not a soul and the death-like silence held sway under that wonderful late summer sky before the invasion it was one of these towns fallen a little into neglect that exist in the depths of our provinces of france with modest mansions displaying armorial bearings and standing in little squares planted with elms and life there must have been very peaceful in the midst of somewhat old-fashioned ways and customs it is in the destruction of these old hereditary homes which were doubtless loved and venerated that senseless barbarism daily wreaks its vengeance many of these buildings have collapsed scattering on the pavement their antiquated furniture and in their present immobility remain as it were in postures of suffering this evening there happens to be a lull a few somewhat distant cannon shots still come and punctuate if i may say so the funereal monotony of the hours but this intermittent music is so customary in these parts that though it is heard it attracts no notice instead of disturbing the silence it seems actually to emphasize it and at the same time to deepen its tragedy here and there on the walls that still remain undamaged little placards are posted printed on white paper with the notice house still occupied underneath written by hand are the names of the pertinacious occupants and somehow i cannot say why this strikes the observer as being a rather futile formality is it to keep away robbers or to warn off shells and where else in what scene of desolation similar to this have i noticed before other little placards such as these ah i remember 
it was at peking during its occupation by european troops in that unhappy quarter which fell into the hands of germany where the kaiser's soldiers gave rein to all their worst instincts for they may be judged on that occasion those brutes by comparing their conduct with that of soldiers of the other allied countries who occupied adjoining quarters of the town without harming anyone no the germans they alone practiced torture and the poor creatures delivered up to their doltish cruelty tried to preserve themselves by pasting on their doors ingenuous inscriptions such as these here dwell chinese under french protection or all who dwell here are chinese christians but this availed them nothing besides their emperor the same always the same who is sure to be lurking his tentacles swollen with blood at the bottom of every gaping wound in whatever country of the world the same great organizer of slaughter on earth lord of trickery prince of shambles and of charnel houses he himself had said to his troops go and do as the huns did let china remain for a century terrorized by your visitation and they all obeyed him to the letter but the treasures out of those houses in peking pillaged by his orders that lay strewn on the ancient paving stones of the streets over there were quantities of relics very strange to us very unfamiliar images sacred to chinese worship fragments of altars dedicated to ancestors little stelae of lacquer on which were inscribed in columns long genealogies of manchus whose origins were lost in night here on the other hand in this town as it is this evening the poor household gods that lie among the ruins are objects familiar to us and the sight of them wrings our hearts even more there is a child's cradle a humble piano of antiquated design which has fallen upside down from an upper story and still conjures up the thought of old sonatas played of an evening in the family circle and i remember to have seen lying in the filth of a gutter a photograph reverently enlarged and framed the portrait of a charming old grandmother with her hair in curled papers she must have been long at rest in some burial vault and doubtless the desecrated portrait was the last earthly likeness of her that still survived the noise of the cannon comes nearer as we move on through these streets in their death agony where during a whole summer of desolation grasses and wild flowers have had time to spring up in the midst of the town stands a cathedral a little older than that of rheims and very famous in the history of france the germans to be sure delighted in making it their target always under the same pretext with a stupid attempt at cleverness that there was an observation post at the top of the towers a priest in a cassock bordered with red who has never fled from the shells opens the door for us and accompanies us it is a very startling surprise to find on entering that the interior of the church is white throughout with the glaring whiteness of a perfectly new building 
in spite of the breaches which the barbarians have made in the walls from top to bottom it does not at first sight resemble a ruin but rather a building in course of construction a work which is still proceeding it is moreover a miracle of strength and grace a masterpiece of our gothic art in the matchless purity of its first bloom the priest explains to us the reason for this disconcerting whiteness before the coming of the barbarians the long task was scarcely completed of exposing the under surface of each stone in turn so that the joints might be more carefully repaired with cement thus the grey hue with which the church had been encrusted by the smoke of incense burnt there for so many centuries had resolved itself into dust it was perhaps rather sacrilegious this scraping away of the surface but i believe it helps to a better appreciation of the architectural beauties indeed under that unvarying shade of cinder gray which we are accustomed to find in our old churches the slender pillars the delicate groining of the vaults seem as it were made all in one and it might be imagined that no skill had been necessary to cause them thus to soar upwards here on the contrary it is incomprehensible disconcerting almost to see how these myriads and myriads of little stones so distinct each from the other in their renovated setting remain thus suspended forming a ceiling at such a height above our heads far better than in churches blurred with smoky gray is revealed the patient miraculous labor of those artists of old who without the help of our iron work or our modern contrivances succeeded in bestowing stability upon things so fragile and ethereal within the basilica as without prevails an anguished silence punctuated slowly by the noise of cannon shots and on the episcopal throne this device remains legible which in the midst of such ruin has the force of an ironic anathemia launched against the barbarians pax et justitia walking among the scattered debris i pick my way as carefully as possible to avoid stepping on precious fragments of stained glass windows it is pleasanter not to hear underfoot the little tinkle of breaking glass all the shades of light of the summer evening seldom seen in such sanctuaries stream in through gaping rents or through beautiful thirteenth-century windows now but hollow frameworks and the double row of columns vanishes in perspective in the luminous white atmosphere like the forest of gigantic white reeds planted in line emerging from the cathedral in one of the deserted streets we come upon a wall covered with printed placards which the shells seem to have been at special pains to tear these placards were placed side by side as close together as possible the margins of each encroaching upon those of the neighbors as if jealous of the space the others occupied and all with an appearance of wishing to cover up and devour one another in spite of the shrapnel which has riddled them so effectively 
some passages are still legible doubtless those that were considered essential printed as they were in much larger letters so that they might better strike the eye treason scandalous bluff shouts one of the posters infamous slander base lie replies the other in enormous arresting letters what on earth can all this mean ah yes it is the manifestation of all the pettiness of our last little election contests which has remained placarded here pilloried as it were still legible in spite of the rains of two summers and the snows of one winter it is surprising how these absurdities have survived simply on scraps of paper pasted on the walls of houses as a rule no wayfarer looks at such things as he passes them for in our day they have become too contemptible for a smile or a shrug of the shoulders but on this wall where the shells have ironically treated them as they deserved piercing them with a thousand holes they suddenly assume i know not why an air irresistibly and indescribably comic we owe them a moment of relaxation and hearty laughter it is doubtless the only time in their miserable little existence that they have at least served some purpose to-day who indeed remembers the scurrilities of the past they who wrote them and who perhaps even now are brothers in arms fighting side by side would be the first to laugh at them i will not say that later on when the barbarians have at last gone away party spirit will not again here and there attempt to raise its head but none the less in this great war it has received a blow from which it will never recover whatever the future may hold for us nothing can alter the fact that once in france from end to end of our battle-front and during long months there were these interlacing networks of little tunnels called trenches and these trenches which seemed at first sight nothing but horrible pits of sordid misery and suffering will actually have been the grandest of our temples where we all came together to be purified and to communicate as it were at the same holy table as for our trenches they begin close at hand too close alas to the martyred town there they are in the midst of them all and we make our way thither through these desolate streets where there is no one to be seen everyone knows that almost all our provincial towns have their mall a shady avenue of trees often centuries old this one was reputed to be among the finest in france but it is indeed too risky to venture there for death is ever prowling about and we can only cross it furtively by these tortuous tunnels hastily excavated which are called communication trenches first of all we are shown a comprehensive view of them all through a loophole in a thick wall its melancholy is even more poignant than that of the streets because this was once a favorite spot where formerly the good people of the town used to resort for relaxation and quiet gaiety it stretches away out of sight between its two rows of elms 
it is empty to be sure empty and silent a funereal growth of grass carpets its long alleys with verdure as if it were given up to the peace of a lasting abandonment and in this exquisite evening hour the setting sun traces there row upon row of golden lines reaching away into the distance among the lengthening shadows of the trees it might be deemed empty indeed the mall of this martyred town where at this moment nothing stirs nothing is heard but here and there it is furrowed with upturned earth resembling on a large scale those heaps that rats and moles throw up in the fields now we can guess the meaning of this for we are well acquainted with the system of clandestine passages used in modern warfare from these ominous little excavations we conclude at once that contrary to expectations this place of mournful silence is populated by a terrible race of men concealed beneath its green grass that eager eyes survey it from all sides that hidden cannon cover it that it needs but an imperceptible signal to cause a furious manifestation of life to burst forth there out of the ground with fire and blood and shouts and all the clamor of death and now by means of a narrow carefully hidden descent we penetrate into those paths termed communication trenches which will bring us close quite close to the barbarians so close that we shall almost hear them breathe a walk along those trenches is a somewhat unpleasant experience and seems interminable the atmosphere is hot and heavy you labor under the impression that people are pressing upon you too closely and that your shoulders will rub against the earthen walls and then at every ten or twelve paces there are little bends intentionally abrupt which force you to turn in your own ground you are conscious of having walked ten times the distance and of having advanced scarcely at all how great is the temptation to scale the parapet which borders the trench in order to reach the open air or merely to put one's head above it to see at least in which direction the path tends but to do so would be certain death and indeed there is something torturing in this sense of imprisonment within this long labyrinth and in the knowledge that in order to escape from it alive there is no help for it but to retrace one's steps along that vague succession of little turnings strangling and obstructing the heat and oppressiveness of the atmosphere in these tunnels is increased by the number of persons to be met there men in horizon blue overcoats flattening themselves against the wall whom nevertheless the visitor brushes against as he passes in some parts the trenches are crowded like the galleries of an anthill and if it suddenly became necessary to take flight what a scene would ensue of confusion and crushing to be sure the faces of these men are so smiling and at the same time so resolute that the idea of their flight from any danger whatsoever does not even enter the mind as the hour for their evening meal approaches they begin to set up their little tables 
here and there in the safest corners in shelters with vaulted roofs obviously it is necessary to have supper early in order to be able to see for certainly no lamps will be lighted at nightfall it will be dark here as in hell and unless there is an alarm an attack with sudden and flashing lights they will have to feel their way about until tomorrow morning here comes a cheerful procession of men carrying soup the soup has been rather long on the way through these winding paths but it is still hot and has a pleasant fragrance and the messmates sit down or get as near to that attitude as they can what a strangely assorted company and yet on what good terms they seem to be Today I have no time to linger, but I remember lately sitting a long time and chatting at the end of a meal in a trench in the Argoine. Of that company, seated side by side, one was formerly a long-named conscientious objector, turned now into a heroic sergeant, whose eyes will actually grow misty with tears at the sight of one of our bullet-pierced flags borne along. Near him sat a former Apache, whose cheeks, once pale from nights spent in squalid drinking cans, were now bronzed by the open air, and he seemed at present a decent little fellow. And finally, the gayest of them all was a fine-looking soldier of about thirty, who no longer had time to shave his long beard, but nevertheless preserved carefully a tonsure on the top of his head and the comrade who every other day did his best to conserve this tell-tale manner of hairdressing was formerly a root and branch anti-clerialist by profession a zinc maker at belleville we continue our way still without seeing anything following blindly but we must be near the end of our journey for we are told now you must walk without making a sound and speak softly and a little farther on now you must not speak at all and when one of us raises his head too high a sharp report rings out close to us and a bullet whistles over our heads misses its mark and is lost in the brushwood whence it strips the leaves afterwards silence falls again more profound stranger than ever the terminus is a vaulted redoubt its walls composed partly of clay partly of sheet iron this blindage has been pierced with two or three little holes which can be very quickly opened or shut by rapidly working mechanism and it is through these holes alone that it is possible for us to look out for a few seconds with some measure of safety without receiving suddenly a bullet in the head by way of the eyes what have we only come as far as this after walking all this time we have not reached even the end of the mall in front of us still extend under the shade of the elms straight and peaceful its desolate grass-grown walks the sun has blotted out the golden lines it was tracing a moment ago, and twilight will presently be over all, and there is still no sound, not even the cries of birds calling one another home to roost. 
it is like the immobility and the silence of death looking in a different direction through another opening in the sheet iron on the other bank the right bank scarcely twenty yards away from us quite close to the edge of the little river of which we hold the left bank we noticed perfectly new earthworks masked by the kindly protection of branches and there as in them all silence prevails but it is the same silence too obviously studied suspicious full of dread then someone whispers in my ear it is they who are there it is they who are there as indeed we had surmised for in many other places we had already observed similar dreadful regions close to our own steeped in a deceptive silence characteristic of ultra-modern warfare yes it is they who are there still there well entrenched in the shelter of our own french soil which does not even fall in upon them and smother them sons of that vile race which has the taint of lying in its blood they have taught all the armies of the world the art of making even inanimate objects lie even the outward semblance of things their trenches under their verdure disguise themselves as innocent furrows the houses that shelter their staffs assume the aspect of deserted ruins they are never to be seen these hidden enemies they advance and invade like white ants or gnawing worms and then at the most unexpected moment of day or night preceded by all varieties of diabolical preparations that they have devised burning liquids blinding gas asphyxiating gas they leap out from the ground like beasts in a menagerie whose cages have been unfastened how humiliating after prodigious efforts in mechanics and chemistry to revert to the custom of the age of cave dwellers after fighting for more than a year with lethal weapons perfected with infernal ingenuity for slaughter at long range to be found thus almost on top of one another for months at a time with straining nerves and every sense alert and yet all hidden away under cover not daring to budge an inch how horrible i believe they were actually whispering in those trenches opposite like ourselves they speak in low voices nevertheless the german intonation is unmistakable they are talking to one another those invisible beings in the infinite silence that surrounds us their muffled whispers comes to us as it were from below from the bowels of the earth an abrupt command doubtless uttered by one of their officers calls them to order and they are suddenly silent but we have heard them heard them close to us and that murmur proceeding as it were from burrowing animals falls more mournfully upon the ear than any clamor of battle it is not that their voices were brutal on the contrary they sounded almost musical so much so that had we not known who the talkers were we should not have felt that shudder of disgust pass through our flesh we should have been inclined rather to say to them come a truce to this game of death are we not men and brothers come out of your shelters and let us shake hands 
but it is only too well known that if their voices are human and their faces too more or less it is not so with their souls they lack the vital moral senses loyalty honor remorse and that sentiment especially which is perhaps noblest of all and yet most elementary which even animals sometimes possess the sentiment of pity i remember a phrase of victor hugo which formerly seemed to me exaggerated and obscure he said night which in a wild beast takes the place of a soul today thanks to the revelation of the german soul i understand the metaphor what else can there be but impenetrable rayless night in the soul of their baleful emperor and in the soul of their heir apparent his ferret face dwarfed by a black busby with a charming adornment of a death's head all their lives they have had no other thought than to construct engines for slaughter to invent explosives and poisons for slaughter to train soldiers for slaughter for the sake of their monstrous personal vanity they organized all the barbarism latent in the depths of the german race they organized i repeat the word because though it is not good french alas it is essentially german they organized then its indigenous ferocity organized its grotesque megalomania organized its sheep-like submissiveness and imbecile credulity and afterwards they did not die of horror at the sight of their own work can it be that they still dare to go on living these creatures of darkness in the sight of so many tears so many torments such vast ossiaries that infamous pair continue peacefully sleeping eating receiving homage and doubtless they will pose for sculptures and be immortalized in bronze or marble all this when they ought to be subjected to a refinement of old chinese tortures oh all this that i say about them is not for the sake of uselessly stirring up the hatred of the world no but i believe it to be my duty to do all that in me lies to arrest that perilous forgetfulness which will once again shut its eyes to their crimes so much do i fear our light-hearted french ways our simple confiding disposition we are quite capable of allowing the tentacles of the great devil-fish gradually to worm their way again into our flesh who knows if our country will not soon be swarming again with a vermin of countless spies crafty parasites navvies working clandestinely at concrete platforms for german cannon under the very floor of our dwellings oh let us never forget that this predatory race is incurably treacherous thievish murderous that no treaty of peace will ever bind it and that until it is crushed until its head has been cut off its terrible gorgon head which is prussian imperialism it will always begin again when in the streets of our towns we meet those young men who are disabled mutilated who walk along slowly in groups supporting one another or those young men who are blinded and are led by the hand and all those women bowed down 
as it were, under their veils of crepe, let us reflect. This is their work. And the man who spent so long a time preparing all this for us is their Kaiser. And he, if he be not crushed, will think of nothing but how he may begin all over again tomorrow. And outside railway stations where men are entrained for the front, we may meet some young woman with a little child in her arms, restraining the tears that stand in her brave, sorrowful eyes, who has come to say good-bye to a soldier in field kit. At the sight of her, let us say to ourselves, This man, whose return is so passionately longed for, the Kaiser's shrapnel doubtless awaits. Tomorrow he may be hurled, nameless among thousands of others, into those charnel houses in which Germany delights, and which she will ask nothing better than to be allowed to begin filling again. Especially when we see passing by in their new blue uniforms the young class, our dearly loved sons, who march away so splendidly with pride and joy in their boyish eyes, with bunches of roses at the ends of their rifles, let us consider well our holy vengeance against the enemy who are lying in wait for them yonder, and against the great accursed whose soul is black as night. From that roofed-over redoubt where we are at present, whose iron flaps we have to raise if we would look out, the mall is still visible with its green grass, the mall lying there so peaceful in the dim light of evening. The barbarians are no more to be heard. They have stopped talking. They do not move or breathe, and only a sense of uneasy sadness, I had almost said of discouraged sadness, remains at the thought that they are so near. But in order to be restored to hope and cheerful confidence, it is sufficient to turn back along the communication trenches where the men are just finishing their supper in the pleasant twilight. As soon as our soldiers are far enough away from those others to talk freely and laugh freely, there is suddenly a wave of healthy gaiety and of perfect and reassuring confidence. Here is the true fountainhead of our irresistible strength. From this source we draw that marvelous energy with characterizes our attacks and will secure the final victory very striking at first sight in the groups around these tables is the excellent understanding a kind of affectionate familiarity that unites officers and men for a long time this spirit has existed in the navy where protracted exile from home and dangers shared in the close association of life on board ship necessarily draw men nearer together but i do not think my comrades of the land forces will be angry with me if i say that this familiarity so compatible with discipline is a more recent development with them than with us one of the benefits conferred upon them by trench warfare is the necessity of living thus nearer to their soldiers, and this gives them an opportunity of winning their affection. At present they know nearly all those comrades of theirs who are simple privates. They call them by name and talk to them like friends. And so, 
when the solemn moment comes for the attack, when, instead of driving them in front of them with whips, after the fashion of the savages over there, they lead them after the manner of the French. It is hardly necessary for them to turn round to see if everyone is following them. Moreover, they are very sure that, if they fall, their humble comrades will not fail to hasten to their side and, at the risk of their own lives, defend them or carry them tenderly away. Now it is to this superhuman war, and especially to the common existence in the trenches, that we owe the ennobling influence of this concord, those sublime acts of mutual devotion at which we are tempted to bend the knee. And in part it is not likewise owing to life in the trenches, to long and more intimate conversations between officers and men, that these gleams of beauty have penetrated into the minds of all, even of those whose intelligence seems in the last degree unimpressionable and jaded. They know now, our soldiers, even the least of them, that France has never been so worthy of admiration and that its glory casts a light upon them all. They know that a race is imperishable in which the hearts of all awaken thus to life, and that neutral countries, even those whose eyes seem blinded by the most impenetrable scales, will in the end see clearly and bestow upon us the glorious name of liberators. Oh, let us bless these trenches of ours, where all ranks of society intermingle, where friendships have been formed which yesterday would not have seemed possible, where men of the world will have learnt that the soul of a peasant, an artisan, a common workman may prove itself as great and good as that of a very fine gentleman, and of even deeper interest being more impulsive, more transparent, and with less veneer upon it. In trenches, communication trenches, little dark labyrinths, little tunnels where men suffer and sacrifice themselves, there will be found established our best and purest school of socialism. But by this term socialism, a term too often profaned, I mean true socialism, be it understood, which is synonymous with tolerance and brotherhood, that socialism, in a word, which Christ came to teach us in that clear formula, which in its adorable simplicity sums up all formulae, love one another. End of chapter 24